Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never, ever about food or weight. Never, ever. Not even. One time. Not ever, ever, ever. Hello, everyone. This is Laura Lee Rourke from It's Not About Food podcast. And today's show is about reflection. And on the front of the card is such a beautiful image of the goddess. And she's standing so powerful in her mountain pose. And she's got her little deer next to her, and she's looking into a reflective pond. And what I love about this card is that it's very supportive, and it's telling us that it's okay to look at in our reflection, that it's not the way how I was raised. If you look too much at your reflection, that meant that you were what? You were narcissistic. You were all stuck up. You thought you were all that. So this is a whole different thing of that, is that it's perfectly fine to fall in love with you and look at your image. So the back of the card reads, reflection is the ability to see your true self mirrored back to you. Unfortunately, we spend most of our lives using the mirror as a way to judge the imperfections in our appearance, which is limited and biased perception of who we are. By changing how we see our reflection, we can expand and transform our vision to include the beauty of our true selves. So for instance, I did this myself and I teach my clients, if they're somewhere and they're starting to get really upset and they wanna do whatever the behaviors that they do, or all the judgments start coming about themselves, to excuse yourself, go in the bathroom and look into your eyes and see who you are and call yourself home. That maybe you've gotten a little bit off center because of who you're around or because of old thoughts or old behaviors coming back, but get in touch with you. It's sort of like, you know, call Lassie home, (laughs) come home and it will really help. And then I tell them part of the recovery is to be able to stand and look in the mirror and see the beauty that you are, no matter how old, how big, how small, how tall, how short, how whatever it is, fill in the blank, that this is you, this is your body, this is yourself. You're going to be with you your whole life. You might as well get used to looking at you. And, you know, it's very hard to drop all of the things that we've all heard for so many years. But we can do it. At one time, we were little kids and we looked in the mirror and we thought we were fantastic. Something happened to us. People could make money on us that we didn't think we were fantastic anymore. That's what happened. My mother taught me that I needed to be a certain size or shape or I wouldn't make it. I just wouldn't make it in the world. What was I to know at seven or eight? I had to listen to her. She said this. It was the God's word. So I thought it and I did it until it almost killed me. So 
I uh, was very scared to look in the mirror and see what was there and not judge it, either good or bad. Just be with it and be okay with what I saw was very hard. But it was one of the best things I did for my own recovery and claiming myself. So I am so grateful to be talking to Amber today who picked this beautiful card. And she's going to talk about this card and talk about her work and what does she do in the world and the great things that she's all about. So I'll just turn it over and introduce Amber. So what up, girl? Hi, Morley. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Amber Rice. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I've been working in mental health, in the mental health profession. My career trajectory is that I worked at The Gap when I was in high school. Ooh. And then I've worked in mental health since then. <laughs> <laughs> well, you probably did a lot of mental health help when you were in the dressing rooms. with. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I started out in social work and have been licensed in the states of California, Washington, have a private practice and do coaching and supporting folks really around the world. And my work also includes training other providers as a graduate school professor, sometimes as an adjunct, and then doing other types of trainings and services and workshops and seminars for other providers. A lot of times, often around body trust, health at every size, building weight-inclusive practices, understanding how to think about the intersection of fatness and how to be mindful as a provider to that area of discrimination and the trauma of being in a large body and the harm that can be done if we collude with clients' weight loss goals as a provider, as a therapist. So that's a big part of my work. I really enjoy working with other providers and helping them see how easy it is to do harm unintentionally with our clients when we're talking about our bodies outside of a fat liberation orientation. Yeah, I can imagine because it's the way that it is here, even though we're California and we're all like, you know, love and hope and peace and everything is beautiful and we're all beautiful. But try to find a doctor who doesn't want to put somebody on a Like if, you know, I've had clients that went in because they had arthritis in their hand and the doctor wanted to put them on a diet. And they said, what will that do for my hand? It's the automatic go-to recommendation for anybody who is over that really problematic BMI, and that is the solution. And I think it's quite, I mean, I learned from other medical professionals, that's really lazy medicine. It's lazy medicine. And it's completely ignorant medicine because read a book. I've gone in to my own doctor and given her my book. It's not about food. And before you talk to anybody else, here, read this. (laughs) And she did. And she changed her practice about that. Oh, I love that. I know. I I feel like, you know, we need to speak up about this stuff because they say stupid stuff. I think it's really hard to, well, there's two things about when we're talking about doctors here and accessing good medical care, especially if you're in a larger body. It's, I think we want to believe, I know I want to believe, and so many of my clients want to believe and just people out in the culture want to believe that our doctors are better than, like they're more informed and they're better than the bias. Yeah, than the society at large. Yeah. The, the diet culture industry has infiltrated medical training. And Absolutely. it's infiltrated the medical community. 
And we can see how like other parts of the culture, like maybe how the lobbyists and the people who are making money at the top, how they're able to infiltrate other communities. But we don't like to think that about doctors. And so it's, uh. it's really alarming that we as a society don't question where the fact that $80 billion a year industry that I called industry has absolutely influenced what doctors are learning and what they're prescribing to, to their patients. So that's really upsetting for us to think about. We don't want to think about that, our doctors. And then the other thing is that as a person who I'm in a large body myself, I'm a fat person. And when a lot of us who are in fat bodies, we're not listened to and we're so used to being seen. We're used to the bias against us. And so it's really hard for us to speak up for ourselves oh, for in sure. those appointments and to tell our doctors, what would you say to a person who's in a thin body about this arthritis in my wrist? Because <laughs> yeah. we're so afraid of being harmed in that moment and not getting good care and being seen as resistant or lazy or whatever else. Exactly. So it's, it's really or delusional or... Or whatever. Yeah. 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 So yes, advocacy is so important, but it's really hard for those who are in that identity to advocate for ourselves. Sometimes the risks are much higher to those of us in large bodies. To right. Advocate. Yeah. And I have here, I have a very good friend and a colleague who is a psychiatrist and she's a health at every size psychiatrist and I told you you can never retire I have no one to replace you (laughs) you know you're gonna have another baby you need to just work through that Yes. Because I need you on this wall, you know? Yes, (laughs) yes. There's just not enough therapists, psychiatrists, nutritionists, dieticians, coaches, medical providers who understand this perspective and treat from a weight-inclusive orientation. One of the reasons why when I started the podcast, you know, I, of course, did my own little neighborhood of the Bay Area and even up in Sacramento, but then opening it up to everybody. I really loved that I was able to talk to people all over the place who are doing this. So it gets so lonely out here. You think, am I the only person thinking this or my one little two friends? But no, it's a lot of people are working exactly like you are and I am. It's exciting that the community is expanding and people are getting more exposure to health at every size, to intuitive eating, to body trust. And I think a lot of people are introduced to it through different ways, but it is easier, I think, to find folks who are at least talking about this or have heard of it and are being confronted by it at least like I don't know what's changed but I'm really glad uh, that social well, media made social a media yeah. for sure because I can remember Carol Munter and Jane Herschelman talking about when women stop hating their bodies what was that the early 2000s so it was like them and us on this coast and that was it and Renfrew you know so it was pretty sporadic but as soon as we're getting on social media as more and more people are talking about it. It's getting out there, which is unfortunately the way that it is to think that this is how we all get together, that we're not all just thinking about this anyway. 
we all are just learning from each other. And I do want to take a moment just to mention something that blew my, I mean, of course, this is the case, but I was very, what is the word I want to say, like astonished and awed by the fact that there has been a fat liberation movement Mm. since the 60s that were women, mostly black women in large bodies in the 60s who before social media and email, I don't know how they found each other, but they were a group of feminists who began talking about the intersection of fatness and blackness and being a woman and how hard it was to live in the bodies that they were at that time. And they were organizing in the 60s around this. So I really want to give credit to those women and how that's where it may have started. Yes. Um, And we benefit from their labor. We do. We do. Yeah. yeah. And those early confrontive, not confronted, but when women would get together, you know, we burned our bras and then we got yeah. together and talked about the pressure on us to look a certain way or be a certain way. And we sort of lost that maybe through the 80s or whatever, but we're coming back around with it, which I think is really good. So tell me why you picked this reflection card. What was it that drew you to that? Well, I did what I tend to do with any sort of cards, and I did a blind draw and just to see what would come forward. And I'm looking at the card now, and I'm glad I chose this card because I look like the woman on that card. (laughs) I'm a very apple-shaped woman with big curves and big belly and big booty and big round face. And that was something that I would not have felt good about not very long ago. And looking at my reflection in the mirror was a very challenging, confronting experience with a lot of self-hatred, massive amounts of self-loathing and tons of self-judgment. And my body felt like a very, very visible announcement of my mortal failure, of my ineptitude in terms of being a mental health professional, that my body was evidence of some unresolved issues in consciousness. It was like daddy issues or compulsive eating issues, or I had no self-control. And so it was a mark of my failure as a professional and not only not, and and just as a professional, but also as a person, as a person. Yeah. Yeah. In any area of my life, my body, I was a failed thin person. Right. And so looking at the mirror was just this confrontation of my failure and how hard I had worked to clear other areas of distress in my life and had some success in all of my therapy and doing EMDR and doing lots of inner child work, personal growth and mental health growth and being free from suffering was something I, I had spent a lot of time and energy on. And this one, I just couldn't, I couldn't fix it. I could not. I couldn't fix it. And that body is so it's so bossy. (laughs) It won't let us do what we want to do. I thought it was like the thing. Yeah, it was the thing that was holding me back. Of course, I, I could. It was I blamed everything on it. And it felt like other people had this passport to life that I didn't have and that I felt so envious about. And that was really preventing me from moving into a larger platform with my work. I was afraid to put pictures of myself up on a website. I was afraid to write things or start teaching or putting myself out there as someone who had something to say, because why would anybody listen to me? I'm clearly failing. I'm I'm a fuck up because I've got this big body. So 
I love that through the haze, that health at every size community, intuitive eating, through my community, through the body trust community, through Be Nourished, through my work with them, that I have learned how to no longer see my body as evidence of a moral failure. That I can look in the mirror and just go, oh, yep, I'm a fat person and not have a negative or positive. It's just neutral. Like that's just a descriptor. Yeah. Have that color hair. Oh, here's my eyes. Here's my eyebrows. Here's my fingernails. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And that I can't really, that's just truly a remarkable thing that I think, let me set the record straight and say that there are bad body days. I have bad body days, just like I have bad hair days. (laughs) (laughs) There are days when I do look at my reflection and I don't feel good about what I'm seeing back. But instead of that triggering a restrictive eating pattern or going into my dieting cycle. I just go, oh, today is going to be a day where I'm just going to feel this way and it'll probably be gone tomorrow or two days from now. And so I don't let it mean as much. So that I want to encourage people who sometimes I think that we can get too black and white about all of this stuff and it's a little more nuanced than that. But it is remarkable to no longer feel like my body is an evidence of my failure and that I don't have a place in the world, that I don't have, that I can't take up space. I take up a lot of space, literally and figuratively now. Well, you know, to me, you're not really taking up a lot of space. You're taking (laughs) up your space. I remember my son, he grew a lot. I don't know, 10th, 11th grade. All of a sudden he was really tall. Yeah. And he was like, I don't know how to be in this body. But he was a boy and he was going to be a tall boy. And he got so much accolades for being, oh, you're so strong and big. And, you know, that he didn't get what a lot of us have gotten, which is, oh, you're kind of putting on Uh some inches. Nobody said that to him, like that it was his fault. Yeah. Right. There isn't tall stigma. No. I mean, there might be with people who identify as female, but there is, I mean, weight stigma. So here's what I think is so important for us to understand as we go on a fat liberation journey or as we start to embrace the body size that we're in and our shapes and all the intersections of our identities that the world discriminates against and has a lot of bias around is that I think we have to recognize that there are two forms of bias and stigma happening. One is how the world treats me. Like the world still treats me badly because I'm a fat person. Like I get poor medical care, like we were talking about before. I may or may not be able to, like there's several concerts or Hannah Gadsby's coming to town and I won't fit in the seats of that theater. Like I've tried and I can't and I don't. So those types of things, like that's a small thing, but there's just a lot of weight bias and stigma and discrimination that exists out in the world that I have to learn how to develop some resiliency around and have community with. And the fact that I can share that with you and you don't say, well, have you tried losing weight? Or Or did you take a chair? (laughs) (laughs) And that you can just go, oh, that sucks. Yeah, it totally sucks. Yes, totally sucks. That is something that is out there. But I don't beat myself up for that anymore. Internalized weight shaming and stigma is something I'm free from yeah. most days. And so I think it's so important that I'm not beating myself up. The world might beat me up, but that's how we develop some resiliencies. We stop beating ourselves up and then we develop community and ways of coping with how the world is going to continue to harm us. And we don't make that our fault. 
Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm. When you're whining with nurses. It's a place I like to call the Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed. Storygram Network. Well, it's sort of like going back to, I was raised, obviously I'm female, and I was raised as a female, and everything was okay about being a female until I got to a certain age. And then there was a lot of pressure on being a female. Then I had to be afraid of everything. Then I wasn't going to get paid as much as the kid next to me at the soda shop, you know, because he was a boy and I was a girl and he got more money and he was lazy and he didn't even do as much as I did. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, uh, I believe that. Yeah. I mean, it just was one of those things where I remember telling my mother, she said, well, you just have to deal with it. You need a job. Just deal with it. It's just the way it is. Don't worry about it. Just get married and you'll be OK. Really? Really? That was her thing. Somebody will take care of you which was not really true. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, you're talking about misogyny and sexism. That's and, right. And how the world outside of us will treat women a different way and discriminate against them and require more from us. And it's not safe for us to be outside, but we don't have to believe that about ourselves. There's the internalized misogyny and the external misogyny. And so I think what I've learned through practices like you're describing in this card of, of, looking into the mirror and doing a lot of work that I've learned how to externalize that fat phobia, that anti-fat bias, and understand that the world may see me differently, but I don't have to see myself that way. And that it will hurt. Like I can't escape it. No amount of positive thoughts I'm going to have about myself is going to stop my doctor from being a fat phobic bad provider. But I can see that as the problem and not me as the problem. Now. That's right. That there is a problem and it's not you. It's not my body. Yeah. I love that. And how diet culture is the problem. I'm not the problem. Anti-fat bias is the problem. I'm not the problem. Right. Sexism is a problem. My gender is not a problem. Transphobia is a problem. You know, like really externalizing. Exactly. Yeah. And it's almost like internalizing everything you heard as a child. If you lived in an abusive childhood sure. uh, or household, I believed all kinds of horrible things about myself that I found not to be true. Now, I do also know that I have a lot of, what do you call it? I get a lot of passes because I'm white. You know, I live in California. I'm educated. Thank goodness I got my education. There's a lot of things that I feel like I have not had to suffer about, but I still know that it's there. I still know I can see it and I can tell the truth about it. And my eating disorder was I had anorexia, bulimia and compulsive overeating. So I would get way over my natural weight and way under my natural weight. So by the time I got into recovery, I had no clue what right. my I had What's my body size. No, yeah. it was a luck of the draw. I had no idea what I would look like, really. And I had to let go. Yeah. of the idea that I was going to look a certain way. That's so scary oh to do my God. Yeah. And trust my body. Like you're saying, body trust. I had to trust my body to 
go where it needed to go and be okay with it, whatever it was. And now as I'm getting, yeah, and as I'm getting older, I have to do the same thing. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm 70 now when I'm 80 or 90, even if I make it that long, what is going to happen? I have no control over that. My body has a little journey and I take care of it as well as I can, of course, but it has its own little path. And the world will, I mean, you're probably going to or already are experiencing the other ism of ageism. Absolutely. Absolutely. You go up and stand in line at some place and everybody around me gets picked. What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? And I'm just standing there. Hello. Hi, I exist. Am I invisible? (laughs) Yes. I love that you mentioned the privilege that we hold. I'm a cisgender white woman myself who's in a mostly able body. I experience a lot of unearned body privilege that I think coming to terms with the areas where I've been marginalized, and I hate to say this, but this is often how it goes for us who are in privileged bodies that we don't understand the the suffering of other people and other marginalized identities until we understand our own areas of marginalization that I can relate. So intersectionality is a, there's just a trauma of being in a human body. Oh, for sure. And why is that? Because people can make money on us if we don't feel good about ourselves. So to me, it always goes back to that. (laughs) It always goes back to follow the money, supremacy, capitalism. That's right. And how we colonize and use people's bodies to make money. Oh, this has been such a great talk. Tell me how somebody can get in touch with you or your website or whatever. What are you doing? Are you doing some groups online? Are you doing anything like that right now? Yeah, I am. Um, so they can find me at my website, which is amberrice.org. I'm on Instagram as Amber Rice LMFT and on TikTok as Amber Rice LMFT. And I'm doing a lot of coaching and individual work, but I am going to be offering some trainings for providers. They're creating some workshops right now that will be available on my website soon. So if you are a therapist or a dietitian or a life coach or somebody who wants to know how to be more mindful about providing a weight inclusive service to your clients, then you can come to my website and there will be some trainings available coming soon. I'm also doing some trainings for the state of Washington for therapists to get their CE credits around weight inclusivity, (gasps) inclusivity, which I'm really excited about. And I'm hoping to expand that nationwide this year. That's my goal. I hope you do. Yeah. And I love consulting about this topic too. So if you're hearing this and going, I need to know more and I want to talk to Amber specifically about this, you can go on my website and book a consultation. Or I can turn and all of us can turn our doctors and medical helpers into, you know, you want to talk about this with somebody who really knows it backwards and forwards. Here's this website. Yeah. Give her a call. Yeah, I, I Give her a love, little shout out. One of the things I did last year, I did a couple of 14-week workshops called Exploring Body Trust, which is a workshop that I was trained to provide through Be Nourished in Portland, which if you're not familiar with Be Nourished, I really encourage you to check them out as well. But it's a 14-week course, and we did it for providers to really help them look at their own relationship with their bodies and food, because I think we have to really 
get into right relationship with ourselves before we can provide that service. Oh, for sure. Person. And so I really enjoy working with providers because they have an ethical value of doing no harm and want to get out of their own stuff around this and their own disordered patterns. And yes, we have to. It's like being a... Ugh. You know, I can't Happy tell you, uh, I know, I can't tell you how many <laughs> stories I hear from people that are, you know, their therapists don't know what it's else so to do with them, but give them a diet. I mean, I have a client right now who really literally was starving to death and her therapist rather than was first of all, told her she looked great. And so that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, we don't comment on people's bodies. Right. And we yeah. certainly don't tell somebody that's lost 20 pounds Diet, is yeah. now way too thin that they yeah. look great. Like, right. well, anyway. And then when she says, I don't feel good, I'm really, really not doing well. And I need some help about that. She goes, maybe don't eat any sugar. <laughs> it's like, oh, gosh. Anyway. Oh, gosh. So yeah. however way she got to me and got into treatment and then I had to send her off to another bigger treatment than me. Right. She needed a higher um, level card. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. she mm-hmm. was in jeopardy. And I felt like calling this therapist. I did not do it. But I felt like Collins, what the hell are you saying? Well, that's really what I want to do. I want to help. There's so many folks who don't understand that by maybe. And I was in that. I was one me of those. Me too. I was one of those therapists who encouraged folks to go in an anti-inflammatory, whatever. Like <laughs> I was there. I did that. I did harm. And so I, I know that folks, I mean, there's the therapists who don't even know. Oftentimes the people who want this type of training and want some more input about this and interventions is just the clients were like, I don't know how to help my clients, even if they're not eating disorder, but they're just like, don't feel confident in their bodies or they want to have a better body image. And I think that is a really vague, strange thing that we don't realize is rooted in anti-fat bias. Like we're all really afraid of getting fat, either because we're afraid of the health issues that are quote unquote associated with that, or we're afraid of being discriminated against and not being admired or being desired. Being hated, right. Being worthy and having having to hustle for our worthiness. Think of this as being like a body image issue, but really it's about coming to terms with our fat phobic culture and how we are also incredibly, and we're terrified of getting fat. That's hard to become aware of in ourselves and it's hard to talk about with clients. And so my goal is to help therapists have those types of conversations with their clients in a way that isn't pushy, but help them connect those dots and then have to systematically address that in their work with their clients. Right. And then when you tell somebody in whatever size they're coming in the door with, well, part of the problem is you believe that it's a problem with your body. What if it's not? What will you do? Anti-fat bias affects thin people and it affects fat people. It affects Absolutely. It harms people who are in larger bodies more. But thin people who have poor body image, they're just afraid of becoming the fat people. And so it all goes down to when we're not able to look in the mirror like this card shows. And when we pick it apart, it's because of what diet culture has taught us about our bodies. And at the end of the day, they've taught us that fatness is absolutely unlovable and terrifying. That's right. And you still hear that. Yeah. 2022 is nothing because 
it's still it happening is today. It's a billion dollar industry. Right. That is, it's not going to go away. No. We look at like, why aren't we able to make the shift from fuel to something more sustainable? But that's a massive industry and it's not going to go away. There's claws exactly. in that. Exactly. And, and this is a massive, it's like a $250 billion global industry. So no wonder we're still getting messages about this. There's a big amount of money to be made and it is literally making nations function. <laughs> right. I have a car, it's getting older and it's a hybrid. And if I need to get a new car before I die, <laughs> what would I get? And I thought, well, I have to get an electric car. That's sort of the future. And I've told several people about that. And I've even here in, in Northern California, oh, well, there just aren't enough places to get a charge. Sure. And that's it's like, too hard. yeah, that's too hard for you. And especially for you, you can't handle that. It's like, I think I know how to plug something in. Right. But <laughs> yeah. How hard did it really be if tomorrow we all have, I mean, that is not a hard infrastructure thing for the powers that be that do, but they don't because they want to continue making money off of fossil fuels. And that's, the research is clear that dieting harms and kills people. And it's, we know the research is clear about why Weight, intentional weight loss is not a way to go, but we're still going to prescribe it because it makes money. And because we don't know what else to do if we're one of those people who may be a doctor who also hates their body. Yes. And has never done their work about that. They're in it too. They're yeah, in the, of course. They're in it too. We're all swimming in the fishbowl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I think there's, I know that we're wrapping up here, but I think just what you just said also and you mentioned this earlier, that there is this lovely sense of control and safety that comes along with this idea that I can control my health and my well-being by being in, on this wellness program or in this diet. It's really scary to realize and to face the truth that our health is largely not up to us. That is not a very comforting idea. I think it's like a religion that is very comforting to know that if I do this and this, and I'll be protected and saved and have eternal life. That's right. And if I don't do that, I go to a horrible place. And what you're bringing up is this brainwashing that we've had that if you eat healthy, now the new thing is healthy, which is really a diet, but it's, we're going to call it healthy. If you eat healthy. Food moralization, right? There's a, some foods are morally better than others. Yes. And it's sustainable. And you know, the farmer that grew that carrot and, yeah. you know, and it just goes on and on. If you do that, you won't die. You'll be safe from this. And you'll this be safe from anything and you'll live. And I don't know. Okay. I'll be healthier. I'll feel better, but I'm still going to die. <laughs> and I'm still, there's still Things that are going to maybe go wrong with my body. It's a little human body. You know, it's hard to wrap our heads around that idea that we have no control over that. We don't have as much control as we like to think. And it can be the health is an orthorexic nightmare. That's exactly it. Trying yes. to figure out, you know, what diet to follow in order to not have pain, to, to treat my arthritis, to avoid cancer. And again, that's a massive way to make money. And it's also really scary to come to terms with the fact that maybe I just am going to have pain. And it sucks to be a person who lives in a body with pain. Yes. And you getting your stomach cut in half 
might not do the magic trick that you think it's going to or that your doctor said it would. And that sometimes the actual health impacts of weight loss have nothing to do with weight, but they have to do with no longer having the stress of weight stigma. That's right. Feeling better about themselves because they look more like what they think everybody else looks like. Yeah. People treat you better. Yeah. You have that passport. Yeah. Till you get a little bit older and then that goes out the window. Right. And then ageism comes in, flips it and t- yeah. <laughs> takes that passport right back. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so once again, give me your website. Amber Rice, A-M-B-E-R-R-I-C-E dot org is my like, you know, landing page and you can go there and book a consultation or reach out to me through email there and look at what future offerings I'm going to be providing. Good. And then can you read this last part of the card that today I will? Today I will practice standing in front of the mirror. I will greet myself by looking into my eyes and saying hello. I will allow myself to look at my body as a work of art. Each time I find myself criticizing my body, I will take a deep breath, let it go, and say I am learning to love and accept myself exactly as I am. Thank you so much for being on this show. And I feel like we could talk for another hour or another day about this. And I may hit you up again for sure. (laughs) I would love to come back, Loralee. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you so much. We've just skimmed the surface of this thing that has a lot of tentacles. But I want to end on this kind of positive note is that you're here and there's other people like you and me and we're here and we are talking about this. Thank goodness. We had a whole conversation that perfectly made sense and we've never spoken before. Because we're on the same wavelength. Yeah, we have community in this place. Yes, yes. yes. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lori. And I will tell you when it's on. Great. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. And be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it's notaboutfood.com. Thanks.